right, but we're gonna we're gonna go ahead and um, get started here with a word of prayer. The Lord be with you. Let us pray. O oh God, our, our refuge and strength, the author of all godliness, hear the devout prayers of your church, especially in times of persecution, and grant that what we ask in faith we may obtain. Through Jesus Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. So, what did we cover last time? I trying to think about what we did talk about. Uh, we were in finally in Hebrews 13, right? Yep. And we're getting through 1 through 19, and then we're going to get through to the end of uh, verse 25. Um, which won't take long. That 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 last section there is uh, pretty short. And I don't think we finished the last section of 19. No, we didn't. Um, turn that up. Um, so, does anyone want to read that? Uh, who wants to read all the way the whole chapter 13? It's pretty short. It's only 25 verses. Who would like to read that for us? Anybody? I read last week, so it's okay. <laughs> <laughs> I read the week before. Oh, okay. I've like split it with somebody if someone wants to do that. I'll, I'll I think Alice and Diane ought to split it. Okay, let brotherly love continue. <laughs> do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. Remember those who are in prison, as though in prison with them, and those who are mistreated, since you also are in the body. Let marriage be held in honor among all, and let the marriage bed be undefiled. For God will judge the sexually immoral and altruous. Keep your life free from love of money, and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings, for it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods which have not benefited those devoted in them. We have an altar from which those who serve the tent have no right to eat for the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the holy places by the high priest as a sacrifice for sin are burned outside the camp. So 
So Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. Therefore, let us go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach he endured. For here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. Through him, then, let us continually offer up a sac sacrifice of praise to God, that is, the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Pray for us, for we are sure that we have a clear conscience, desiring to act honorably in all things. I urge you the more earnestly to do this in order that I may be restored to you the sooner. Benediction. Why don't you read that, Diane? May the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, equip you with everything good for doing his will and may he work in us what is pleasing to him through jesus christ to whom be glory forever and ever amen brother i urge you to bear with my words of exhortation for i have written you only a short letter i want you to know that our brother timothy has been released he if he arrives soon, I will come with him to see you. Greet all your leaders and all God's people. For those, those from Italy sent you their greetings. Grace be with you all. There you go. All right. So there's a lot here, but we're going to push through it. So we talked about last time um, not, not neglecting to show hospitality to strangers thereby some have entertained angels unawares. Um, remembering those who are in prison, those in the faith that, were, um, that are persecuted for the faith. Uh, we, we remember them not just in you know, thoughts and prayers, but we also ought to reach out to them and provide some material need for them as well. Um, but we remember them as though we are in prison with them because we are the body of Christ. And when one part suffers, the whole parts, the whole parts suffers, right? Um, Luther said that whenever you strike your smallest toe on a post, the whole body cringes, you know? So it's, 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 it's that sort of thing. Um, let marriage be held in honor among all, and let the marriage bed be undefiled, for God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. That is another image of you know, Christ and the church, that marriage ought to be kept sacred. Uh, and we already have that in the sixth commandment, you shall not commit adultery, right? Um, but he's, 
imploring that all the more in, in the light of the relationship between Christ and the church, right? Um, keep your life free from love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Uh, so we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? That is to say, there are going to be temptations in this life, um, not just for material gain, you know, by saying, like, you know, the, the typical thing to say, you know, is like, well, I'm, I'm not coming to work, or sorry, I'm not going to church because I have to work instead. And it's, it's, it's this thing of like, well, that doesn't really happen all that often. Usually people get Sundays off, right? This is really talking about keep yourself from the love of money so that you wouldn't be enticed to be drawn away from the faith. Because what happens in persecution, and what's happening now and will probably happen more and more, is that there are going to be um, pressures on the church and the people of faith that say, if you believe this way and you espouse this belief, you live this out, you will suffer financially because we will not do business with you. Right? It's happening already. It's happening. Uh, you know, different different platforms like PayPal and uh, uh, well, uh, other corporations like I think um, GoFundMe and things like that. If you try and raise funds for someone who's being persecuted wrongfully, but in the court of public opinion, he's already he or she has already been proven guilty, then to satisfy the mob they'll take your page down and won't give you any of the money that was raised, right? So it's, it's, a, it's a shame. Uh, it's already happened. Uh, this isn't a hypothetical anymore. And it's going to probably happen more and more, you know? And, and I know Vanita was, was here one week ago and it's like, we've heard this how many times? How many times have we been hearing this? And it's like, yeah, you've been hearing it because it's, it's, it's been, if you think about it, it seems like it's happened well, depending on your perspective, it's either happened really quickly or it's taken a long time to get here. But we've been on a long road where the church has kind of capitulated more and more and more in many, in, in, in many realms of the culture so that we don't seem weird, you know, so that we're kind of normalized in society. And yet at the same time, we are weird. We're strange. We believe that a man died and rose from the dead. That's not normal in modern thinking either, you know. So in some ways we're, you know, I was listening to something the other day from, from uh, other pastors. They have a podcast and they just kind of sit and they, they talk about some topics, but this time they were kind of getting questions from people and trying to answer them in a short amount of time. And the questions kind of led into them talking about, you know, the church is probably going to suffer. And... Mm, there are just certain things we can't capitulate on. There are just certain things we cannot compromise on. And uh, we're probably going to see a, a big shakeup in the church structurally in you know, what being a Missouri Synod Lutheran is going to look like. Possibly, maybe. It, it helps to think about these things for the coming persecutions, really. It helps to think about these things because then you're prepared. 
It's not a pleasant thought. It won't be a pleasant time. But it's good to think about so that in the event that it doesn't happen, you can say, thanks be to God, this is not what we have to go through. But let's safeguard ourselves for if it ever does happen, we're prepared, right? To say that, you know, there are times of prosperity and then times of where there's going to be hardship. And for that reason, we shouldn't be, what is it? He says, uh, keep your life free from the love of money, right? Don't be enticed away from the faith because you're feeling financial pressures to keep you from believing and practicing your faith, right? Um, that uh, we, we, we keep these things in mind because... Um, what is it? You know, uh, now there's, I don't, I, there's so much stuff going on in the political realm right now. It's just so crazy. But you know what's the most crazy thing that I think, uh, and, and, and I wasn't even, I think I had heard some whisperings about it, but it's not in the mainstream news, it's not in the headlines, um, but there are certain, um, you know, there are certain people in the Christian sphere that are raising warning flags. And I know the baby just came in, so you're distracted. So. <laughs> She's adorable. That was um, intentional to make your point. Yeah, right. Well, and, and that's the other thing is that, well, and I'll, I'll get to children as well, because uh, this is interesting. You know, so, okay, there is a push in Congress right now with, uh, you know, the party that's in control of the Congress, the more left side of things, and I'm trying not to make this overtly political or party affiliated or whatever, but you can't help but point out these things that they are pushing through a bill called the, the, uh, the Equality Act. Have you all heard of this? The Equality Act, which if it's pushed through the Congress and you know both both um, both sides of the House, right, the the Congress and the Senate, and it goes to the president's desk and the president signs it into law. This law is called the Equality Act, but really what it is is it's going to dole out massive amounts of oppression to Christians. Uh, because what it, what it does is it says um, anybody or any, any church, any organization, any business that, um, that, will, that um, has hiring practices, right, according to a faith saying like, you know, faith-based institutions like churches and schools attached to churches will say we will not hire someone who is gay because we want people who are employed with us to espouse the teachings of Christ, to live a, a faithful and, and, and repentant life according to God's word. Homosexuality is a sin, and you know, uh, if you, you know, it's like, it's one of these things where it's like it's a sensitive issue because you don't want to pry into somebody's personal life too much. But if you have, on one side, if it's, some, if it's like a coach who's gay, 
this has already happened in Indiana uh, at, a, at a Lutheran school, actually, um, where they let her go because they found out that she was homosexual. And um, she gets out in public and says, you know, this is horrible, this is discriminatory, but that's us living our faith. That's not trying to be mean. That's saying, listen, we have children that we're trying to teach the faith to. And to employ you when you live in a certain way that is not in accordance with God's word, then we can't abide by that and we can't employ you because we have to think of the children first, right? And what we're teaching them by what we do. It'd be the same thing if you had a teacher who, was, who had, uh, if, if she had a boyfriend and they were sleeping together but they weren't married, right? It'd be the same sort of thing. Like, you need to either get married, break up, repent, do something, but you cannot keep being a teacher here because we know that you're living in sin. It's the same sort of thing, right? Um, or drug abuse or whatever it is, you know, uh, the list goes on. But this act says that these, it'll basically put into law, federal law, that religious organizations and churches will have no defense against not hiring someone who's gay, someone who's transgender, you know, this sort of thing. All in the name, in the disguise of equality, right? And in that sense, we've even heard different candidates say that churches should lose their tax-exempt status if they won't affirm gay marriage. It's coming. It's coming. You know, this is a warning to say, this is what is on our doorstep. How are we going to deal with it? It's not just a hypothetical anymore. So in that case, you know, we as a church, as a church body, Missouri Synod, may have to stand ground and say, we're not going to abide by this. We're going to take this to the full extent of whatever defenses we have in the courts. But we also have to be prepared in the event that we lose, right? We can't, we can't necessarily hang all our hopes and dreams on the Supreme Court anymore. Or at all, ever, really, you know? Trust not in princes. They are, they are but human, right? Um, we shouldn't trust in only the governing authorities, but trust in God ultimately that regardless of what happens to us, regardless of what happens to uh, the Missouri Synod, to resurrection, whatever happens to us, the church will always stand because Christ has promised that it would be so. This is a promise that he has sealed with his blood, that he has made good on, so that you can be assured that money is not going to help. Only the blood of Christ, okay? It sounds all doom and gloom, and I don't necessarily want to go there, but that's the world we're living in, and those are the realities that we're facing, and that's the opposition that we're facing as well. So keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have, for he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. That is a promise. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Bring it on. The one who fights on my side beat death and the devil. You got nothing. Right? 
And for that sake, and, 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 and I say all this, we have to keep these things in mind. And like I said, I'd, I'd get back to the children because if we were to capitulate, if we were to compromise and say, well, okay, we'll kind of let this go and we'll not, uh, we'll turn into like a don't ask, don't tell kind of thing, you know, if we hire someone, don't tell me if you're gay because, you know, then I have to do something about it, you know, to kind of find a little wiggle room and try and weasel through some things or whatever, you know. Somebody's phone? Oh, it talks to me. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it, if we try and wiggle around this, trying to avoid persecution from the clear word of God, what kind of, con what, what, what kind of confession is that for our children? It destroys their future. It destroys their faith, right? Uh, I'm reminded, it's such a powerful thing, I'm reminded of, you know, there was, there was, there was a time in Christianity where, you know, for a long time, the, the Christian world was far out and spread out. We, we were from, you know, Constantinople in the east all the way to uh, the tip of Africa in the north and Spain and Britain and, you know, it's like France, like all this. It's a huge, Christendom was huge. And then the Muslims invaded, and they took over northern Africa, they took over parts of Spain, they took over different parts of the world that was heavily Christian. And that's what actually led to uh, the bishop in Rome gaining the most power, because all the bishops in the other big places, in like Alexandria and uh, um, Hippo and all these other places in northern Africa, were kind of wiped out by the Muslims. So you had these Christians living under Muslim rule. There's a specific story that I remember from church history in the seminary where um, in Spain, right, in parts of Spain, it was Muslim controlled. And there were Christians that were allowed to be Christians. They had to pay a certain kind of tax, right? That's called a jizya tax, which means that we'll let you live as long as you pay this tax. And it's an incentive to become Muslim because you don't have to pay the tax anymore. So they pay this tax and they live, and they live as peaceably as they can, doing what they do, and this, that, and the other, not rocking the boat with the Muslim governing authorities. But then their children are enticed, and they don't want to be Christian anymore because it's not cool to be Christian. It's not popular to be Christian. We want to be Muslim because that's what all our friends are, and that's the only way to get anywhere in society is to be Muslim. And these parents, no matter what they did to, to try and entreat their children, say, don't, please, you're forsaking the faith. It's not just a cultural thing. It is your very life and death. It is the eternal life of your soul at stake here. Please don't do it. And they still were just enticed because, you know, kids being kids, they're enticed by these things. You know what these parents did for their children? And I think this is just almost too much for me to handle, especially being a father now. Um, and it, let me know what you think. Was it foolish or was it brave and faithful? They began speaking out. They began decrying the Muslim faith. They began, they, they began calling Muhammad a false prophet. 
in public, which is punishable by death. And no matter how much the authorities tried to plead with them to say, don't, stop saying these things, ask for, f ask for forgiveness and we'll do it and we won't, you know, whatever. But they kept doing it all the more and more because they wanted to show their children what it was that they were forsaking the one true faith for. And they wanted to have in their hearts, and what, what happened was they were martyred. The Muslim authorities couldn't take it because according to their laws, it's punishable by death. Blasphemy is punishable by death. So they, so they killed these parents of these children and the children did not become Muslim. For one thing, why would you convert to a faith that killed your, your, your parents, right? For another thing, why would you want to be a part of a faith that has no understanding of grace or mercy, right? No understanding of a God of love, but one just of brutality and barbarity, right? So that's something to think about. Are we willing to make a stand like that? Are we willing to stand up so that others will be emboldened? You know, we don't seek out martyrdom, but when it comes knocking on our, do our doorstep, will, be will we be prepared? And those in faith, by the power of the Holy Spirit, will endure, right? We will be able to stand and say, the Lord is my helper, I will not fear. What can man do to me? It's like Martin Luther, because they were always under the threat of the Turkish Muslims. He said, let the Turk take my head. I have a God who will give me another one. You know? Love it. Love Luther. You know, you think of Luther and, and, and all the... And we just had we just celebrated Reformation Day, which officially actually takes place on Saturday. It's October 31st. Um, you know, what... You think of Luther and the and, and and he's writing about the you know the Diet of Worms and everything like that, where he stood before the Holy Roman Emperor, the the ruler of the entire Christian world, to where he could be thrown on his knees and beheaded on the spot, and yet he stood stood firm and said, I cannot recant. My conscience is, is held captive to God's word. And I cannot and I will not go back on that. I think Luther would look at some of us and, and, and kind of cringe and say they're, they're worried about people being mean to them. They're worried about uh, people who want to destroy them and the church. They're worried about them calling them names or calling them unchristian when they know that's not true. Gird up your loins, get ready, because the fight is here and we got to be standing firm on the defense. You know, we don't go out and find these fights, but when they come to us, we have to be ready with a defense, right? Um, not, only, not only to say, you know, you're wrong and it's awful, it's wicked what you're doing, but also to say, repent, God doesn't want this for you. What you're doing is not right. And, you know, once hopefully they will see that and, and be more open to hearing the gospel then. But until then, we kind of have to 
It's time to push back. It's time to push back. Um, for the sake of our children and for those who are on the sidelines wondering what's right. You know. Uh, on to the next part, because we're going to just kind of push through here to, to the end. On to the next part of Hebrews 13, verse 7 and following. Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and, and imitate their faith. What leaders is, is he talking about? The Pharisees? No, no, no. So like, um, remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Prophets. Yeah, the Christians that came before you, uh, I'd say the pastors that you've had in your life, right? Those who have come before you and spoke to you the word of God, who have died, right? Pastors who were faithful, who were true to God's word, who preached it to you. And he says, look, consider the outcome of their way of life, the outcome being that they died in faith and they fought the good fight of faith. They preached God's word with power, and they were welcomed into God's everlasting kingdom by his grace through faith, right? You could even say that about your parents and your grandparents. Sure. But I think here, uh, here I think he's talking about leaders. Yeah. I want to be, be sure. But you, you can. You can say that about your parents, your grandparents. Um, those who have gone before you, I mean, it goes back to the saints, of, you know, the saints who have gone before you, right? Um, consider the suffering and endurance that they uh, endured, right? Um, excuse me. So we see here, what is he saying? 13 verse 7. Hegemon, hegumenon. Yeah, the the leaders, the rulers. Um, I think, well, I mean, like, if this is a sermon, because of what comes next, um, he's really talking about pastors. Um, consider those, who, those pastors who spoke to you the word of God, because that's what they were called to do, right? Um, consider the outcome of their way of life and... and Imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Uh, that is, why does he put that in there right after talking about the pastors who have come before you? I mean, this all goes together, but what do you think? Because then he goes on to, you know, do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings. For it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods, which is not been... So we'll get into the foods part. But what about this understanding of your pastors who have gone before you? Um, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so do not be led astray by diverse teachings. Right? What does all that have to do with each other? Christ's word is unchanging. Right. It's eternal. Right. And so if anybody 
says anything to you that goes against the word of God, then that's false teaching. Right. It's something that all pastors should aspire to, this continuity of the faith, that the things that I speak, the substance of the things that I speak as your pastor ought not be different from anything that, uh, you know, ought not be different from anything that the pastors before me, the pastors that I learned from, uh, studied under, the pastors that they studied under, all the way back to like Walther, all the way back to Luther, all the way back to St. Paul, all the way back to the apostles, to Christ. It all needs to have this continuity to it. Um, yeah, we have to be on our guard against false teaching. And we know pastors who are worth their salt because of the words that they speak. They, they, they speak God's word, they teach God's word, and they don't just speak it, but they live it out too, right? And um, pastors are called to do a lot. It's kind of a daunting task where we're not just called to be here, you know, nine to five in the church, just be here working on stuff or only on Sundays. We're here to, you know, uh, do that. We're here to study. We're here to be in God's word so that what we do would be a model of faith for everyone else. Um, you know, there's a high bar that is set for pastors in uh, pastoral epistles by St. Paul, you know, that above reproach, the husband of one wife, you know, um, that he keeps his household in order, because if he can't keep his household in order, then how will he be able to keep the house of God, you know, together, that sort of thing. So it, it takes strength, it takes endurance, it takes patience, <laughs> It takes all these things, but it takes this continuity of faith and believing and doctrine too, right? Because Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. You know, there's, there, there may be some pastors out there who say, why are, why are we bothered about what the Book of Concord says? I mean, that was written back in the 1500s. What, is that what, what relevance does that have on our lives? And it's like, yes, it's not the Word of God. It's not inspired, but it has relevance because it confesses the truth about God's Word, right? I mean, and they have a continuity that goes back to the apostles. They even quote, I mean, was it, the Roman Catholics like to say, we have the church fathers on our side, and then you look in the Lutheran confessions and you see quote after quote after quote after quote after quote of the church fathers contradicting the Roman Catholic doctrine. And you see, like, it's like the study of the church fathers began with the Lutherans, at least in the modern sense. Like, because we wanted to go back and say, are we off base? Did we miss something? No, we didn't. We're in line. We're in line with that continuity of faith because Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Right? It does not change. Grace, salvation by grace through faith doesn't change. It changed last week. <laughs> right? Well, it, it, it changed on paper, I guess you could say. But in the absolute truth of it all, it never changes. Um, 
but that's the struggle that we have, right? That's, that's the struggle to be able to hear and to discern, to weigh things against God's word, even what pastors say, you know, to, to come to me and say, Pastor, you said, you said something on Sunday that just really, I don't know, it got me thinking. I was wondering, it's like, uh, it, it kind of bothered me. And then I went and I read in my Bible, this, 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 and it's like, it sounds a little off. So maybe, you know, in good faith saying, maybe you meant to say it this way and I can give, that'll give me an opportunity to say, oh my gosh, you're right. I, oh, thank you so much. I want to be faithful and you're keeping me on track. I appreciate that. Like pastors, it, it's, it's so funny. I think, I think people don't want to bother pastors all that much. They're just like, oh, he's busy, he's busy, he's busy. But when you come and talk to a pastor saying, you know, Pastor, I was, I was wondering about this that you said. We are all gung-ho saying, yeah, please, please talk about this. Because it's, it's, it's encouraging to us to know that y'all are, are, are uh, wanting to know more. Huh? And listening. And listening and awake, right? <laughs> um, so remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and, and imitate them. Uh, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Do not be led astray by diverse and strange teachings, for it is not good for the heart to be strengthened by grace nor by foods which have not benefited those devoted to them. What he's talking about there is going back to the old way for the Hebrews, which would be the foods that were offered in the sacrifice uh, in the temple, right? Uh, and the foods that would be offered on the table and uh, things according to the old covenant, which we already talked about, don't compel um, the forgiveness of sins, right? It's, it's, what did he say? He said before that, uh, we talked about how the foods and uh, the different dietary restrictions of the Old Covenant did not... What is that? Um, I'm having a hard time here. Oh yeah, the New Covenant and, and the Old Covenant. That the first covenant had regulations for worship and an earthly place of holiness, right? Uh, and we have the holy place that the um, talks about all the other old covenant rituals and rites. Um, that the blood that was offered before is not. Let me see. Oh, yeah. Here we go. Uh, chapter 10. For since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come instead of the true form of these realities, it can never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise, they, otherwise would they not have ceased to be offered, since the worshipers, have, having once been cleansed, would no longer have any consciousness of sins? But in these sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year, for it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Right? 
So it's this, this doing away of the first and establishing the second covenant through Christ, saying that do not be led away back to the old covenant. It's already been fulfilled, right? It's already been fulfilled in the blood of Christ. And because of that, he says, we have an altar from which those who serve the tent have no right to eat. Back in Hebrews 13. What is he talking about there? We have an altar from which those who serve the tent have no right to eat. That's verse 10. What's he talking about? <clears throat> what do y'all think? The only thing I can think is that since Christ established the New Testament covenant, the old one has no benefit. Right? But in terms of having an altar from which those who serve the tent have no right to eat, what is he talking about with the altar? What altar do we have now? The cross. That's good. <laughs> I like that. Well, it says this in my Oh, it does? It's true. It's true. Um, it's true that the cross is the new altar, but think of it on a much more, like, he's speaking to them. Uh, this is a sermon, right? Um, they are gathering, and whenever Christians would gather in the ancient world, uh, in the early church... They would gather specifically to gather around the body and blood of Christ given in Holy Communion, right? So that's the altar because we, when it, when it came to the Old Testament sacrifice, who was the only ones who could eat the sacrifice? Remember that? Who, could, who were the only ones who could eat the sacrifice that was offered? Chief priest. It was the priests, the priestly class, the Levites. That was their portion given to them. So now we, as uh, Peter writes in, in one of his epistles, he says, for we are a royal priesthood. Right? So we are a nation of priests as believers in Christ. We eat of that sacrifice now of the body and blood of Christ that is given to us in the bread and the wine on the altar, right? And as that is the case now, we have an altar that supersedes the altar or whatever altar might be put up in Jerusalem, right? We have this new altar from which those who serve the tent, that is the tabernacle, that is the temple in Jerusalem in the Old Covenant from which those who serve the tent have no right to eat because they are not of this royal priesthood by faith. They are holding on to the Old Covenant, the old way of you know being, a, being born into a certain tribe according to things that God has, has fulfilled through Christ. Right? They're holding on to something that is no more. Um, it's like this uh, uh, 
and I'll and I'll push push through here, but this is one of the reasons why scholars believe that Hebrews was written before the temple fell in uh, 70 AD, because he I I did because like he would have mentioned something, right? He would have mentioned you know, and now look that that tent has fallen and God has fully fulfilled His promise, you know the. The word that Christ spoke and prophesied that this temple would be torn down, it has taken place, and now you have the true temple right in front of you at our altar. But he doesn't say that. Right? He says, we have an altar from which those who serve the tent have no right to eat. And in essence, that's closed communion right there. Right? Um, those who, do not, those, those who, not, who are not part of the royal priesthood by faith cannot eat at this altar. Um, for good reason, not just to be mean or exclusionary, but uh, to be, uh, to show the weight of what's going on here. The sacrifice of the great high priest, the Lamb of God, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, this sacrifice is given. And to receive it in, in the unworthy manner um, is dangerous. It's a dangerous thing because the unworthy manner is to approach God's table and this is just in one way. To approach God's table in an in an in an um excuse me in an unrepentant manner, whether it's uh, not believing that it's truly the body and blood of Christ, whether it is maybe saying that you believe that it's the true body and blood of Christ, but you don't necessarily believe that Scripture is entirely the Word of God, you know, or something along these lines, right? If you approach God's table and you receive the body and blood of Christ, and you eat and drink the body and blood of Christ, believing that it's not really the body and blood of Christ, you've literally called Jesus a liar. And that's not a good position to be in. That's not a good place to be in. It's a dangerous place, and we should do all that we can to keep people from actually harming themselves in that case. Right? Me as a pastor, I'm not perfect at what they call fencing the table. Right? It's important also for me to know the people who regularly commune here, too, so that I'm able to address any spiritual concerns. Uh, pastors are known as the, uh, in the old German, the Zielsorge, which is uh, the cure of souls, the physician of souls. We're supposed to be able to talk to people and kind of diagnose whatever spiritual afflictions, doubts, worries you might have, so that when you come to receive the Lord's Supper, you receive it worthily, you know, and we are at least in some sense, our consciences are at rest because we know that you are doing so, right? Unless you say otherwise, you know, unless you say like, you know, Pastor, I, I kept myself back because this, 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 and then we can talk. So it's it's kind of an ongoing pastoral care issue. Um, Sometimes, you know, I, there's been times when I haven't taken communion because I might be angry with somebody and I'm, I'm not feeling worthy to do that until I make amends with what this anger was all about. 
That's fair. That's yeah. fair. And 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 I that's actually much appreciated because to do so and you're not you're not the first person that I've heard say that. I mean I don't I think that's actually a good thing. Because if there is something that needs reconciliation, we are people who are called to reconciliation by the blood of Christ. And, you know, as much as possible, we need to seek that out before receiving that, that, that gift. So kudos, kudos to you, because that's, that's exactly the way you're supposed to think about it. Anger is a sin, right? Um, uh, so. Just got to work it out. That's right. Huh? It's, it's not only anger, it's any sin. That's oh, yeah. Exactly. Yeah, I was just using Anything. anger as, a, as an example. As something that you personally have <laughs> refrained from. Yeah, yeah. It's a real one that most people can relate to. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That, well, you feel like you've been wronged, so it's not your fault, it's their fault because they're the ones that wronged you. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. And that's kind of your, <laughs> that's, yeah. that's your sinful reasoning saying, you know, I'm not at fault, they're at fault, just they're the ones wrong. who need to repent. Where you know, it's still on you to kind of call your call your brother or sister to repentance, saying, but you're bringing it to mind for them, saying, you know, you hurt me. Yeah. You know? But you're in this little conflict, you know. You are, at yeah. The, at the time, and and you say, you know, I'm not ready to do this right now. It's right. not the right frame of mind. Right. And you recognize that. Right. That's fair. That's fair. Um, and, and if, if there is any, and, and you know, again, many people think, oh, I don't want to bother the pastor, but pastors are called to be ministers of reconciliation. And if there is any reconciliation that needs to be done, pastors ought to be sought out in some capacity to be that objective mediator between things to always be pushing towards resolution and more importantly, reconciliation. So never hesitate to ask for my help if you'd like. I'm not angry with him. Oh, good. <laughs> <laughs> oh, good. Today. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay, so let's keep going. Um, we're, we're just going to push through here. So for the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought, brought into the holy places by the high priest as a sacrifice for sin are burned outside the camp. So Jesus suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. Therefore, let us go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach he endured. Now, he's talking about Jesus and his crucifixion. That the sacrifice that Christ made was not on the altar in the Holy of Holies. It was outside the gate. Right? He suffered... Think about it where we said, what is in the Holy of Holies? It is the presence of God. It is God where God the Most High is dwelling. Yet Jesus Christ, the Son of God, showing full, for, like being fully forsaken, is outside. He's not even in the vicinity, right? He's outside the gate, suffering and dying, right? In his sacrifice. So for that reason, he's speaking again, you know, don't be enticed to go back to the temple. Let us join Jesus outside the camp and bear the reproach he endured for us, right? It's the same thing for being shut out of society, 
because we won't toe the line when it comes to certain uh, uh, beliefs and uh, practices, right? Um, let us go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach he endured. Pick up your cross and follow him, right? For here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come through him that uh, then let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God, that is, the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. I mean, when, when, we, um, uh, when we have Holy Communion, um, this is kind of a picture of that, where it's saying, you know, let us... Um, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise. Um, uh, where we say, you know, uh, when, I, when we get to the Holy Communion, I say, the Lord, the Lord be with you, right? And with thy spirit, lift up your hearts. We lift them up unto the Lord. Let us give thanks unto the Lord our God. It is meet and right so to do. And then I say, it is truly meet, right, and salutary that we should at all times and all places give thanks to you, right? So this is the Holy Supper, that we are giving thanks and praise um, for what he has already done and what he continues to do and how he continues to dwell in those who have received his grace in the body and blood of Christ and who now, it's, 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 it's an amazing thing, think about it, that when you eat and drink the body and blood of Christ, that true food and drink becomes a part of you. And actually is a, you know, it's, it's, it's spiritual food and drink, but we are not just spiritual bodies. We are flesh and blood. It nourishes us in body and soul, and we go forward giving him thanks and praise for his full provision, not just spiritually, but bodily as well, right? He's worthy of praise for these things because it's not about what we do in terms of, you know, saying like, you know, Lord, I worked for this. I deserve your grace. <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> sure. <laughs> you know, sit down and be absolved of your sins, right? Um, but we give him thanks because we can't do anything to save ourselves, and he's the one who does it all. And then he gets to this part. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Um, yeah, that's actually used in the uh, small catechism on the table of duties when it's uh, what the hearers owe their pastors. Right? Um, that uh, pastors are called to keep watch over your souls. Like I said earlier, we're called to be the caretakers, the physicians of your soul, to help diagnose whatever spiritual ailment you might be going through or suffering without even knowing it, so that we can speak the word of God to you, pray with you, administer the sacraments to you, remind you of your baptism, and draw you in by God's word through to, to his grace, right? So in that case, if we are here to serve you, pastors are here to serve you, look out for your well-being and your care, um, obey and submit, not because we are dictators and we, uh, you know, we know what's right, sit down, shut up, it'll all be fine. 
but to say, you know, pastors, you know, pastor, I know that you've been called to serve us and we appreciate it and, and you know, what, what you would like to do, we'll go for it because we trust you. That's a, that sort of thing. But it's, that, it's, it's kind of that thing, you know, if, if a pastor says, oh, we should do this and this, and then you say, oh, I don't know, God's word says this. That's where you have to weigh things out. But hopefully you can look at things that pastors do and say, yeah, he's doing this in faith. He's trying to serve the people for a good reason. You know, let's trust him. Um, which is really weird as a pastor saying to my people. But at the same time, it's with any pastor, right? Um, we keep watch over your souls uh, because on the last day, we will be called to give an account. Uh, and I know I'm running over a little bit, but we're, this last bit is kind of, um, it'll take a minute to get through. But what I really want to say here is that in a funeral service, traditionally, you know, it's not in scripture, it's adiaphora, but still, it's good practice that when we have the casket, we have the pall in, uh, sorry, no, yeah, we have the casket in the sanctuary to where the feet are facing the altar. We have the feet facing the altar because if the resurrection happens in the middle of the service, <laughs> that body is going to be resurrected and they're going to come out. And the first thing, and the first thing they're going to see is what? The altar. the altar, the cross. That's the first thing they're going to see. And actually, that's why we bury uh, traditionally bodies facing the east because, you know, the sun rises in the east, and so Christ will come with the rising sun, so the, the thought goes, right? So that's why the altar is facing the east, and that's why in a funeral you have them to where if they're resurrected, they're going to just look right to the sun, they're going to look right in the direction that Christ is coming from, they're going to look right at the altar. Pastors, you know how they do it for pastors? Mm -hmm. The pastors have their feet facing the congregation. Because, this gets me, um, because if the resurrection happens, pastors will be resurrected to look to the people saying, he is risen, right? To proclaim, <laughs> to give an account to the people. That's interesting. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Chokes me up. <laughs> I didn't know that. Chokes me up. Because... I didn't know that either. Yeah. Pastors face now, the congregation. Now, where did this come from? It's been a tradition. It's oh, it's, it's, it's just, just one of the tradition. traditions. Okay. Yeah, it's oh. a tradition because because pastors are called to give an account for their people, and the pastor's life ought to be one that is focused on the proclamation of the gospel. And in fact, in our confessions, we even say, excuse me, in our confessions, we even say. Uh, I think Melanchthon even says, you know, what ought to draw people into the church is good preaching, right? That's what it should be. Um, not incense, not bells and whistles, not all this stuff, but good preaching, the salvation of Christ. And what better to have a pastor in the resurrection at his funeral be raised from the dead saying, Christ is risen and he is here. Salvation has come, right? It's awesome. It's such an awesome picture to think about, right? So traditions are good in that sense, right? They teach us about Christ. 
They teach us about what we need to know about the faith, right? You know, the Navajo have these, uh, what they call Hogan's. Hogan's? That's, yeah, that's their little round house, mm -hmm. you know, it looks like a tent. And they all face east, the door. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, the, the idea of facing east kind of crosses cultures and beliefs and things like that. But, I mean, that kind of has to do with the sun rising and setting. Yeah. But, you know, well, we as Christians didn't take that from the Navajo. No. We've had that for a while. <laughs> well, most, it's interesting, though. I'm thinking about all these cemeteries I yeah. passed by. And the people, their headstones is facing west. That's right. Wait. It depends on where the body is on either side of the headstone, though. Um, and if it's a Christian cemetery, I don't know. Traditionally, though, the headstone being where... Um, yeah. They're all over. Maybe I'm mistaken, but... Well, I don't... I thought it was these. I think there's different... I think there's different... And Joe, yeah. Joe is buried west. Supposedly, it's supposed to be... But where were the feet? Yeah, the feet pointing which way. Because whatever way they're... Because, like, the headstone is going to be... The headstone is here. And he, his oh, well, we can figure it out later. But so that's the idea, the right? The headstone being on the west, when he rises, he'll face the east. Yeah. The feet are facing east. Right. The, the feet always west. face east, yeah. Oh, okay. That's, that's supposed to be the way it is, yeah. Oh, okay. Well, he was Catholic. <laughs> well, they, they know about that tradition, so yeah. Oh, okay. They believe that, too. So they have that same yeah. tradition. Um, oh, okay. But then we get to the end here, and we're going to finish up here real quick. Because um, we've gone a little long. But we're at the end, so. Pray for us, for we are sure that we have a clear conscience, desiring to act honorably, de desiring to act um honorably in all things i urge you the more earnestly to do this in order that i may be restored to you to you the sooner his specific reasons for being restored is not clear we're not still quite not sure who wrote this um, um but there is a call to brotherly love doing this more earnestly, right? Um, you know, to pray for him who is afar and all Christians who are suffering persecution and, you know, all, Christ all Christians everywhere, which is why we say, you know, um, let us pray for the church of God and Christ Jesus and all people according to their needs, right? Uh, and then the benediction, right? Just a quick thing on this benediction. Um... This is a sermon, and you know how at the end of my sermons I always say, you know, and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Um, I say amen to encourage the congregation to say amen. Um, there was a time at the seminary, I forget who was preaching in the chapel service. Um, so this one pastor was preaching at the chapel service, and... Um, he said that. He said, the peace of God which surpasses all understanding. He gave the benediction at the end of his sermon, or his homily. And there were maybe like two or three people that said, Amen. 
very softly. And he, and he was about to leave the pulpit, and he stops, and he gets back in the pulpit, and he says, The church may be invisible, but it is never silent. Amen? And the whole <laughs> amen, everyone said amen, right? Uh, and, and uh, um, uh, you know, so, so it's, it's, it's this, it's this thing of like, um, when you say that it is to say, yes, yes, this shall be so. Yes, this is true. What you have said, right? It's an affirmation of, of, of that. Um, so when he says, now may the God of peace who brought again from the dead, our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen. That's right. Um, and, and, and he says this, in the ancient world, there were these greetings. There would always be like a benediction when you saw someone. You would say like, karata, which means, which means um, in a basic sense, hello, but it also means rejoice, right? Uh, so it's like, um, you know, when you say kairata, it's like, hello, greetings to you. Oh, so I'm joyful to see you, that sort of thing, right? And then when you leave, you say, you know, um, uh, you, you would say like, irene humin, like peace be to you, right? And, and, and it's not just a well-wishing, a well-wished greeting, but it is a theological act being done that uh, it's a spiritual act from the pastor in, this, in, in the realm of the divine service when the pastor is saying, peace be with you, that is not just saying, hey, how you doing? How are you? Good to see you. It's God's peace be with you. Believe this. It's a call to faith in what God has done, right? And, um, you know, calling this is, you know, an um, invocation and a benediction in faith for the people to be strengthened by, right? Um, and then he says, I, I appeal to you, brothers, uh, bear, bear with my word of exhortation, for I have written to you briefly. <laughs> briefly. Um, <laughs> but really, it, there's so much more that could be said, right? Um, you, you should know that our brother Timothy has been re released with whom I shall see, with whom I shall see you if he comes soon. Greet all your leaders and all the saints, those who come from... Italy, send you greetings. And this is the final benediction. Grace be with all of you. Um, and, and that is that final benediction in this letter to the people. Again, a theological act to, um, you know, Dr. Kleinig put it in such a way where he says, um, you know, he starts out this whole thing Acknowledging Jesus as the divine speaker of these words, right? In many and various ways, God's, God spoke to his people of old by the prophets, but now in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, and the Son is still speaking through all preachers of the gospel, right? And in this way, it's not, it's not entirely me as the pastor saying, grace be with you all, but it is Christ through me saying, grace be with you all. Um, grace be with all of you, right? In some ways, in Texas, we can change that to grace be with y'all. Right? <laughs> so, um, but he's saying this so that, um, uh, you know, we live, we live in a world and we have a journey through this, through, through this world 
We are the ones who are on the way, the Christian path, and we walk with Jesus throughout the whole way, and we live by his grace. And that final call for grace to be with you all is a reminder of that so that you would be equipped for that journey. Okay? And that's, that's Hebrews. <laughs> it's a great book. We learned a lot. There's a lot of stuff in there. Yeah. Um, any, any final questions about what we talked about? Any, any insights? Any aha moments? <laughs> Shalom. Peace. Peace. Yeah, that's right. Nope. Well, in that case, let's pray real quick. We'll close, and then we'll discuss what we, uh, what we might want to study next. Okay? Let's close with the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, 